The fallout from the Russia-Ukraine crisis has resulted in a surge in commodity prices. Oil, wheat, metals, everything is higher. What does this mean for the global economic recovery? And how can we handle the volatility that will continue in the next few weeks and months? You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. If you like this show, please do subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your audio content. With me is co-host and The National's future editor, Kelsey Warner. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Mustafa. So you've, you've returned from, from holiday into a, uh, a perfect storm of markets reaction um, from what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. How are you seeing the, uh, the kind of record-setting market prices that, that we've had in the last few days for oil and, and, and other categories? I mean, the implications are striking in terms of what it means for energy and food security for our futures. And so I think that that's the line where I'm finding it most resonates when you think about, you know, headed to the, heading to the gas pump, heading to the grocery store. We're amid record high inflation that we haven't seen since the 80s. This is really going to hit not just the geopolitical stage that we now find ourselves in, which feels terrifying, but also just daily consumers and how we are approaching worldwide our everyday lives. To get a sense of what this market's turmoil means and, and when it might subside, we spoke to Ole Hansen, head of commodity strategy at Saxo Bank. Let's join him now. Ole Hansen, thanks for joining us during this extreme period for the commodities market. I'm not quite sure how to describe it because it feels unprecedented, but at the same time, probably now is a perfect time to have a chat with you because the markets are taking a little bit of a breather. After what has been, you know, a fairly, uh, I'm going to say it, unprecedented couple of days, let alone start to the year. So every single commodity is up pretty much. Uh, you talk about gold, of course, oil, uh, the metals, the rare earths. I mean, the softs, whether it's wheat or other, other agricultural commodities, everything is higher this year. Everything has been higher this week. This is very much uh, an impact of what's happening with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the concerns about supply and demand and world markets. But can I be just asked this simple question just to start off with, how did this happen? Well, yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, and uh, well, it, I think it, it happened in two stages. The first stage was really the pandemic that hit us all a couple of years back. We all uh, saw and felt the stimulus impact that was uh, all the money that was uh, thrown at us from governments around the world, central banks cutting rates to zero. Uh, we were stuck at home. We couldn't travel. We couldn't go to the cinema. We couldn't go to restaurants. So we went uh, spending crazy behind our computers, ordering goods from around the world. Goods need to be produced. That requires energy. And that really kicked off what we were just about starting to get a little bit under control during the past few months, basically a... a Massive increase in demand for, for key raw materials. We saw the very strong recovery in oil demand. We saw coal demand hitting a record in China last year, probably hitting another record this year. And we, then we had the, all the supply chain disruptions at the same time because uh, while we we're trying to get these goods, uh, there's still a lot of people down with COVID that had to uh, deliver them. So um, all in all, just, uh, all, just adding to a picture where the demand uh, for, for most commodities uh, uh, picked up. And now with the disruption that we're seeing now, uh, which... Uh, it's so broad because it's it's hitting the world's third or second largest exporter of uh, and producer of commodities, uh, raw materials after the U.S. with China in, in in third position. When you leave such a massive gap in the market, where you already 
facing a, a tight market conditions across many of these markets. We we all know the story about oil and how the market was uh, starting to threat the the day where OPEC Plus was running out of spare capacity to hand out. At the same time, we're also seeing a lot of the metal markets uh, being in uh, being in, uh, in in tight supply. Part of that is our own fault because we've moved the agenda towards climate change and with the ESG and the regulations that have been put in place around the world, many investors suddenly or banks would not touch investments in some of these uh, key areas and uh, we, we're living with that consequence now. So the old saying that the best cure for high price is a high price because it incentivizes production while at the same time it kills demand. That Part of that equation has been partly uh, taken out of uh, action by by uh, regulatory requirements over the past few years. So yes, we will eventually see demand uh, taking a, take a hit and we will see demand come down and that will help balance the market. But the, uh, the additional supply is something that we, we, uh, we're not going to see being, uh, being forthcoming unless we see a, a changes on the political front as well. And, and we may just see signs of that, I think, already in Europe, where the urgency to get rid of Russian or dependence on Russian oil and gas is, uh, at this moment in time, outweighing the, uh, the need for investment toward climate change. But obviously, at the same time, we hope in Europe that we can accomplish both at the same time. I'm going to follow up a simple question with another simple question. Can you talk a bit more? You alluded to Russia, a major supplier of raw materials. We're looking at energy. We're looking at food. What are you keeping an eye on from Russia, from Ukraine? What are the what are the movers, and what are you expecting? Well, a couple of hundred years ago, we managed very nicely without uh, fossil fuels. Uh, we we cannot manage without, but we can survive without. But we cannot survive without food. So um, so I think my my main concern is still the the risk of a crop failure uh, this year in, in, in Korea, Ukraine. If the war continues and it spreads, uh, farmers won't be able to uh, to get into the fields. Uh, the Black Sea remains closed for, for cargo ships because otherwise you can you risk getting a bullet in your hull. These are, the I think, the from a global, also security perspective, uh, key area. Uh, we have got wheat prices now well above the levels we saw back in 2011. Uh, rice uh, prices have also been moving higher recently. These are the two main stables for, for the global consumer. But on top of that, the gas situation, the oil market, and now with, with what we saw just this week with nickel on the London Metal Exchange just highlights how Russia is, is a key supplier and, and supplies you can't just replace from one day to the next. And while we, over time, will see demand for fossil fuels start to come down as we move towards a greener, uh, the green transformation, uh, you, you cannot replace, uh, at least at this moment in time, uh, nickel, aluminium, uh, palladium, and so on. So they are all important, and it, it is the reason why we, we are seeing these significant moves. I want to stay on agriculture just for one more minute. Ukraine is responsible for 70% of food going to Turkey and Egypt, 70% of the wheat, and it's known as the breadbasket of Europe. Where are you seeing, you said it's not going to be replaced overnight, but where are you seeing maybe uh, supplies opening up elsewhere where, where we might not see you know, mass starvation or unaffordable food? This, these are really scary realities. It is indeed. We had a troubled year in uh, South America over the past year, and especially in Brazil. We've seen that with the coffee prices moving higher. We also had uh, had the adverse weather impacting uh, the production of both uh, both corn and soybeans. But I think if we if we should look for a, for a, a, a place, that would be the U.S. Uh, because we have seen the the acreage allocated to wheat 
for a number of years has been declining because it's been more profitable to uh, to grow uh, corn and soybeans. Also, you have the whole link to the the biofuel, which has been adding some additional demand. Uh, it's uh, so it's so it's corn and soybean uh, that uh, Chinese consumers primarily has been uh, been buying. So uh, so that has has been a natural drift towards increasing acreage towards those two. If you look at the spreads right now between soybeans, wheat, corn, wheat, uh, these are really at at, uh, at multi-year highs, and that basically should incentivize farmers to uh, shift some acreage uh, over the coming weeks. We got a planting report come the first of the year coming out. Uh, I think it's the last day of the month from the USDA, basically uh, showing the planting intentions and. Uh, there are, there are. I would, I would imagine that, it, that we would see uh, farmers uh, making a, uh, many making a last-minute uh, shift in or change in their in their plans and and go out and plant more plant more wheat. Elsewhere, Australia just come out of a very good harvest, near record, but they got flooding right now, so uh, so their winter crop is is challenged. So, yeah, weather is is uh, weather was already a volatile uh, additional to the to the commodity story and and. Uh, and unfortunately, it looks like it's not going to go away. But or at least uh, I think the, the hopes with regards to wheat would rely on U.S. to replace some of the the wheat that we may not get from Ukraine. But let me just add as well, maybe apart from a few metals, I don't think we are still, we're yet to really face some, some of the shortages that some of these prices justify. Uh, if you look at the fuel space, uh, the exception is diesel. We've got a phenomenal high diesel prices right now. We use the gas oil contract on ICE traded in London to uh, to show that, and that, that price is already at a well above the, the highs from 2008. But um, but some of the others, are, especially if we look at wheat, I don't think we have uh, supply shortages just yet uh, because Ukraine sold uh, 70% of their crop already back in November, so the bulk of their crop has been exported by but uh, it's, it still leaves us very, very shortchanged if we, if we don't see uh, the, the pickup in farming and, pro- and production over the coming months. It's a good point you mentioned because the, these high prices do reflect essentially the financial markets related to these commodities. But the, the physical market is, some, is something different. And, and we don't always know the real picture on the ground versus what the markets are saying. Now, if we go back to the pandemic, there was obviously a lot of panic buying um, in the early days, nothing to do with supply in the sense, but more in the sense of people worried they wouldn't be able to get out and buy toilet paper and other basics if they were stuck at home to do with restrictions. But then later on, what we saw with demand coming back, as you mentioned earlier, was that there there are some issues with supply chains. People have been trying to build in more resilient supply chains, whether it's using local products or otherwise. I mean, how big is the gap that you that kind of alluded to between the financial markets? And the physical market right now, and when are they likely? When is the physical market likely to catch up? Well, the the difference in normal times are relatively small. We're talking about uh, cents and a few dollars, but right now it's 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 very very difficult because we have such a dislocated market. We have Russian oil and Russian commodities trading at a deep discount because no, they they're regarded as toxic right now, so no one wants to buy them. Just look at what happened to Shell last week. Uh, picking up that uh, very uh, very cheap uh, cargo and uh, got the uh, got the uh, the world on the on their back uh, over the weekend. So when we have a market that is so dislocated, uh, then then obviously there is a, a massive gap, even in the within the physical market uh, from from one region to the next, depending on where you can buy your oil from. And uh, then on top of that, you have to try to price that in through the through the futures market. Um, and and right now the, the there is a it's 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 only a guide because I think there's a lot of activity in the in the spot market that 
that is uh, so dislocated from what's, uh, what the futures market is, is indicating, uh, depending on where you are in the world and depending on your, your, your short-term uh, needs and uh, the, the, the willingness to pay up to ensure that you have the supply. So, um, but in, in, in normal times, they tend to work because uh, at the end of the day, most of the commodities do have physical delivery. So uh, at the end, uh, when it comes to expiry, the, the, the spot price and the futures price has to be identical because that's when the physical delivery kicks in. But it also raises the question, and I'm sure you're probably going to come to it, but just want to highlight what, it, what we've seen this week with the margin calls uh, coming in. These are not uh, small uh, traders sitting in a dimly lit basement uh, trying to uh, make a few punts on, on these markets. These are the big consumers, big producers who are actually handling physical stuff, who are being caught out because if you are a a producer of a, of a metal or a, it could be coal, we saw that with Peabody, uh, or metal, you are trying to just balance, look after your cash flows, you are hedging some of your forward production, you're ending up with a with a discrepancy with with the, the with your your revenues for your your physicals not coming in for a while while you have a day to day risk on your on your financial transaction, i.e. the hedge you have in the futures market, and that's really why we're seeing some of these I think astonishing moves. This is down to shorts having to get out because even though they have the underlying, they don't have it now. They have it sometime in the future, and uh, that's that's creating these mismatches, which is I think most certainly in nickel, but also I think in European gas prices because we have not run out of gas in Europe. There's still enough gas to go around, but we're trading as if we were, that we were down to our last uh, cubic feet. Um, so that that is partly driven by the financial traders uh, need to cover their positions. And uh, and we saw this way, I mentioned Peabody, a major coal producer in the US, taking a, uh, taking a hit of half a billion dollars because they had some of their forward production. They have the coal in the ground, but the, right now the financial markets are asking for, 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 for margin to cover their, their positions. And uh, that's, the, that's the financial risk that we experience with this, with this development as well. When we have such a massive amount of volatility, it just makes it incredibly difficult to navigate. I would also suggest that, um, and I was reading this in your blog, that because a lot of this, I mean, it's self-inflicted is perhaps the wrong word, but like you said, the necessities in the short term from a financial point of view have to be met, while maybe you know the actual supply is, is a different story. But does this mean, because we don't know which day uh, the Ukraine crisis could be resolved, I mean, they're talking right now, for example, I mean, it doesn't look like it's close, but next week, the week after, and then maybe suddenly everything changes. And perhaps even we see some of that concern about um, Russian uh, products uh, diminishing somewhat. And then are we expecting a lot of volatility because of that, a lot of swings in the next few weeks and months? Because I guess the only thing we can count on is uncertainty. Absolutely. And um, you, you could argue that if we, if we wake up tomorrow and the, and the peaceful solution has been found, uh, then prices should start to revert back to where they came from. I think the only problem with that is that uh, if that uh, peaceful solution came with Putin still in power in Moscow, uh, we will still have an issue because uh, the, the sanctions, yes, are, are, are put in place in order to get Russian soldiers out of Ukraine and stop the hostilities. But the, the, the relationship between the Russian government and the West has, uh, well, fair to say, broken down completely. And it will take time to, uh, to, to rectify, but uh, at least removing some of the sanctions, uh, allowing the free flow, because obviously we know here in Europe as well, in, in the rest of the world, we are getting uh, hurt ourselves. We are heading towards recession. We're heading towards inflation, probably above 10% in the US, maybe even higher in Europe. And so everyone is uh, everyone is taking uh, taking a hit from from this. So uh, we will see some normalization, but it, it won't happen overnight. But 
but it should remove the risk of further upsides in, in the market. So, uh, so oil prices right now close to 130. I would see that uh, potentially could potentially in a fairly big sweep move back down towards the 100 level. So that's again part of the, the story why, why commodities, if you are using it as a hedge against inflation right now, is, it's very difficult and you really have to pick your commodity with a certain amount of care. Part of the energy story, you know, oil, gas, coal, all on runaway pricing has been this will hasten the energy transition that we're going to go to green. But the flip side of that is that we're seeing, you know, metals are up, rare earth minerals are up. So that calls that prediction into question, right? Or, or what, are you, what are you seeing and what do you think? Well, it definitely calls into question. And it also, we also have to accept the fact that it becomes even more expensive than it already was, given the, uh, the strong rallies we've seen in, uh, across the metal space, especially during the last, uh, last year. The nickel price, I, I don't know how, you, how you're going to make money if you still have to pick up nickel in the, in the 40,000 area for, per ton. Uh, I would expect it to come back down towards the 20,000. But, uh, but we, we saw the comment from Tesla, from Elon Musk the other day, that uh, they, have to, uh, they are already looking at other technologies than, than nickel, using nickel in their batteries. And I think what, what we've seen throughout history is that very, very high prices just also spurs the, the increases the investments going into finding the, uh, finding the alternative solutions. So, so um, if there ever was a time for that, then that obviously is now. Um, and I think that's we, we've seen some of the some of the some of the markets that uh, we, we keep an eye on because obviously there are a lot of equity themes also out there and 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 the ones we are looking at is is unfortunately defense which is which is going to do well going forward cybersecurity is is a no brainer but then obviously also many of the uh, stocks in the looking at recycling uh, looking at alternative uh, energy sources carbon capture. Um, hydrogen, all these will will uh, we can see how they have had a major boost during the past uh, past week, especially after yesterday as well, where we uh, we have a green basket part of our equity baskets. It, it jumped five percent yesterday, and that part of that was the European discussion that to just make one one massive uh, pan European fund to uh, to fund defense and uh, the removal away from Russian dependency on on energy. So it will be much more expensive in the short term, but I think at the same time the alternative is. It's one that we've, we learned a hard lesson and we just we need to speed up the process, but it can't be with min, windmills because, I mean, I come from Denmark where we are where we're very proud of our windmills. We have some of the world's biggest producer of windmills. We have the biggest uh, alternative energy company, Orsted, which is uh, building windmills everywhere. And, and, and so it, it's a national pride. But at the same time, we also see what happens on the day where the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow. Uh, we need to get the coal-fired and the gas-fired plants up and running. And uh, so it's not, it's, it's part of the solution, but it's not the, uh, the, the whole solution, that's for sure. When we come up with more solutions, what commodities do you see replacing oil, gas, coal in this story? Is it kilowatt hours? Is it a carbon market? What are, what are going to be some of the themes that you'll be looking at maybe a decade or two from now once some of this innovation gets realized? The one thing I would look, I would love to see in the short term is is that we we and I think we're pretty close that we are able to actually fire coal and take care of the exhaust uh, through carbon capture. I think at current prices we are we are probably we're pretty close to that. So that would be a low hanging fruit that we yes we continue to use fossil fuels, but we just become incredibly smart on how we how we deal with the pollution that comes from it. That would be. A very big step to get closer to our target because for sure we don't find a better energy source than coal and, and, and fossil fuels compared to wind and, and solar. So uh, the, the effectiveness that you get out of these sources are just immense compared and uh, that basically means if we can attack it not from 
if we can tag it on the on the pre post production side, then uh, that could be a, a solution. But the the whole focus on on hydrogen, I think, will continue, and there are multiple others uh, as well. But uh, I think also just just trying to think smart. Something like heating pumps uh, is, is going to be is, or air hot hot air pumps are. Something that is really uh, being looked at a lot. We can see some of the companies in Europe that have produced these. They've had a very, very strong run-up uh, over the past week. So, um, so I think it is the time to, to think smart. And I think the the high prices in that we're paying for the cost of our energy basically makes uh, makes a lot of people think even smarter and even harder. Ole Hansen, head of commodity strategy at Saxo Bank. Thanks so much for being with us. Good luck in these uh, turbulent times. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much, Kelsey Warner. Thank you. All that remains to thank our production team, Arthur Edison, Aisha Khan, and Mahmoud Ridder. Please do join us again next time.